Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Matt Stein with Pixel and Tonic in Austin. And today we have on Caleb Porzio, who is a full-time open source slave. Hey, Caleb, how are you doing? Great. How about yourself? Good. And we have also, we have on K.R. Shaw from Paper and More. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing excellent. And the reason we're having Caleb on is we wanted to talk about this little thing he created called Alpine JS. So, Caleb, if you were off in Dominica and you were hiking through the Valley of Desolation on your way to the Boiling Lake and someone who was hiking there with you turned to you and said, hey, you know, what is Alpine JS? What would you tell him? What would I tell him? I would say, oh, I could say, well, I'll, I guess the taglines, the, the two sort of popular taglines are a rugged, min- when, well, we would be hiking, so this would make You're sense. hiking. I would say a rugged, minimal framework for composing behavior in your markup, which means something, but not, not at first glance. And then the other thing I would say is it's like Tailwind for JavaScript, if they knew Tailwind. All right. And we love Tailwind. You know, awesome. Tailwind, we had Adam Watham was one of our first guests we ever had on the show. Love Adam, love the framework. And I think all of us here use it, actually. But I'm curious. So you use the word rugged along with yeah. the word JavaScript. And I have never heard these two words <laughs> used together in the same sentence before. Yeah. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? So I guess when I say rugged, I mean, if you have a view app or a React app, or even if you're sprinkling in view react angular components onto mm-hmm. a page even something well i guess i shouldn't speak for spelt that's the only one that might also be rugged but if you flick the dom in any way the entire thing unravels because they all use a virtual dom to basically you know track the markup and then when you mess with it, it the real dom gets out of sync with their virtual dom it doesn't know what to do and it freaks out and mm. you know if you mess with like most of the code run inside of it runs inside the view runtime so view just blows up if your code blows up and so i say rugged because alpine does not use a virtual DOM and it uses lots of the mutation observer API. So you can you can flick it, you can remove DOM nodes, you can add them. You could literally like dot inner HTML on a div to add a new component and Alpine would pick it up and deal with it well. So that's why I call it rugged. Is it's like you could you could use it with jQuery, you could use it with pretty much anything else, and it won't be the problem. Maybe something else would have a problem with it, but it generally is is pretty pretty resilient. So Caleb, you're still on your hike to the boiling lake yep. in Dominica. Okay. And the the guide overhears you when you answer the question to the other person and he sighs heavily and he turns back to you and he says, does the world really need another JavaScript framework, Caleb? <laughs> because he's just a guide and he keeps hearing all these JavaScript conversations when he's taking he, people out. He does and he's tired <laughs> right. of them. Right? He's tired of it. Uh, yeah. Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, this is funny. That's something that I get asked quite a lot and and I didn't really <laughs> know. I guess I didn't anticipate it. I should have, but you know. Building. And you thought the one place someone wouldn't ask you this is when you're in Dominica hiking to the boiling lake, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, well, no, I, I would definitely not put it past the Dominicans. Um, yeah. Yeah, so when I am asked that, I guess my response is, well, <laughs> somebody just emailed me for like a questionnaire for a, an article on Alpine. And that was the first question. And I said, I just answered like one word, like some dismissive, like, yes, it does. And that was <laughs> very whatever. So the, the short answer is, yeah, yeah, there's, yes, we do need another JavaScript framework. But the longer answer is I came through... I've used most of the frameworks, I guess, out there, starting, you know, with jQuery for me. And then, but I really got into Vue.js. That was the first like big boy framework that I really sunk my teeth into and basically worked for five years writing front end applications with Laravel on the back end and Vue.js on the front end. So I felt like I went pretty deep on it and I I really enjoyed it, but there were definitely, that's a whole other story, kind of my journey out coming out of it. I wanted to, I started like experimenting with resisting the complexity of modern JavaScript and found a lot of benefits. So I kept following that journey. Basically, all the way back to vanilla JS, sprinkling in just basic behavior with vanilla JS. And that really fell short. It's so much better than it used to be with class list. And there's just with query selector, there's so many things that it does much better now. But I felt like I, I still needed something. And uh, so, stimulus, familiar with stimulus JS? I'm familiar with it, but I have not built anything with it. Okay. So, basically, all of the, it's it's from the Basecamp. Well, Basecamp built it. It's like sort of extracted from their code base, like Rails was. So, it's sort of the, JavaScript solution for Rails as passed on down like from from on high by DHH. So can I interrupt you real quick? Because I I got a a question that it probably is is inappropriate in general, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Does anyone here use Basecamp? Uh, No, we use uh, Notion. I use Basecamp. Do you? Yeah. Do you use it now, though? No, I do not. This is the thing that blows my mind. 
is that I've seen Basecamp over the years and I've used it over the years. I don't know anyone that actually uses it. And yet it seems to be, you know, anything that they do, people are just like, oh, this must be amazing. But I look at Basecamp and I'm like, that's not amazing. I don't use that. I don't know anyone who uses that, you know? Somebody's using it. Well, someone <laughs> clearly is using it. Someone's got a fun DHH's, you know, race car habit. You know, I don't know. That's true. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it is a it. good take. The last agency I worked for, we used it quite a bit when like, it was like Trello for basic stuff, project management, and then Basecamp for anything bigger. And it did really well. I mean, I, hmm. I don't know. Okay. We loved it. And I mean, Jira sucks. There's a lot of other things that suck for me, yeah. it, yet, you know, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, it is kind of like pick your pick where the suck is right because pretty much any tool is kind of sucky in one way or another mm -hmm. i don't know at least like when i was venturing off into into base camp three it just it seemed very campy like it seemed weird like it had i don't know had these strange yeah. metaphors and strange gooey that didn't really feel quite right and I, I don't know gotcha well i mean it is it's it's not like um oh it's not a cookie cutter app by any stretch of the imagination as we all know right. because everything they do they sweat really really hard over and then they publish stuff about it so i at least know that they're putting in tons and tons of critical thinking into the things that they're building and they're very very uh, hard on new features and you know i've read like getting real and remote and rework and all that stuff and i i just I really, really like the way that they think. I, so, I like the way they think too. And I've enjoyed the articles and I'm probably going to get like canceled for this or whatever. But oh, when I, I read about it. them, when I read about them going to like a four day work week or whatever, I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what? You probably should work that fifth day because Basecamp needs some work. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's very funny. It definitely isn't like, a, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it doesn't feel polished because it does, but it doesn't. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a different kind of interface when you're- You know what it felt like to me? It felt like I was using, so I've got two kids and we have these school portals where they have, you know, various things and they've got games and stuff like that. That's what it felt like to me when I was using it. It felt like very, it had its like its own custom thing and its own paradigms and things were, I don't, I don't know. Like I, just, have a, I have a trial account just to see how they name things, name their routes, name their controllers. Oh, nice. Uh -huh. Mostly for that. Yeah. And, well, anyway, I, I don't want to derail the whole thing. I just, well, so I think it, that's, it's, it's just strange to me that, you know, I think that some of the writings that they put out are amazing and some of the books and some of the other things that they talk about, I think they're great. But then I'm just like, well, this is your main product. Like what's going on? It's, it's possible that it's one of those things where we all adore the way that they, they work and the software they produce. And we just assume right. that Basecamp will be awesome and it actually sucks. And, you know, who knows, but, <laughs> but, or it I, was awesome at the time, but I think there are a lot of tools that at least for me in the way that I work have, you know, surpassed it like by a lot, you know, like what? So even for simple things, like you were saying, I just use Trello, right? And I actually find yeah, Trello really, really nice for that. And one of the things that I have been picked up lately, I, I resisted it for a long time, but I've been getting into using Notion. And okay, I think the yeah. way that Notion works is actually pretty impressive. And I know, Matt, you're kind of a, a Notion fan, right? Mm -hmm. I adore Notion, yeah. Yeah. But like, for instance, for this show, for Dev Mode, I've got a Trello board that is shared and everyone uses it. And the simplicity of what it does is really nice. Now, granted, it's solving a simple case right? We just have upcoming episodes. We've got some standard stuff that we read. You know, there's, it's not a big deal. If I were to use this to manage a big software project, then granted, it would break down. But that's just kind of right tool for the job, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a perfect answer. Trello is phenomenal. I love it. And I push it as far as I can. And then when I can't push it farther, well, I, I'm actually kind of out of the, the the big software project game right now for the last year. So I haven't really needed anything bigger. But Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Notion looks amazing. And I could very well see that that, that is just a, a much better experience than than using something like Basecamp. Right. Anyway, I'm sorry for the de the derail. It's, it's a great, uh, I'll loop it back. It's a good segue yeah. because Basecamp feels maybe good idealistically or theoretically, but the aesthetics just aren't there. And I, I think I think that is sort of, you would say that. Would you say that? I would definitely say that. And it feels like, I, I know this sounds terrible, but it feels campy to me. Like the UI just felt like kind of campy and yeah, yeah. dated. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm trying to think of the word. It's, it's aesthetics, but also the, uh, I can't think of it. There's a better word. Paradigms? No, I don't no. know. So stimulus felt that way to me it all the messaging was there all the copy like if you go to stimulusjs.org or whatever it is it 
you know, I read it and I'm like, it's preaching to me. I'm like, yes, yes, this is it. And a lot of people, I would, you know, tweet like, how come I can't just have this? And then they'd say, oh, you should try out stimulus. In fact, Adam Wathen, he replied and said, he's like, oh man, like stimulus is what you want. He's like, sometime we should hop on a pair. I'll show you my mm. stimulus components. Yep. So I go, all right, cool, Adam. I don't know if uh, I'm, I'm sure this is fine telling the story. I go, all right, let's do it. So we hop on a call and he shows me his stimulus components. And I, I think personally, I think they look pretty bad. Um, mm. This I don't want to just like publicly trash stimulus, but this is just me being informal and, and just, you know. It is uh, what it is, man. Yeah. You know? So so I just did not personally like the way that it looks. It litters stuff sure. all over your DOM and you end up basically writing all the like imperative DOM manipulation JavaScript yourself inside of these components. He So he's like, all right, well, I guess a good test to see if it's good is if I can reuse my little drop down or tabs component without, you know, looking up the source. If I can just, you know, create a little tab component on the page. And he couldn't and he had to remain. He was like, oh, and where? And it was just kind of this thing. And then two days later, I brainstormed. We hashed out what like a really early version of Alpine, just the syntax. But but then like two days later, I went off and I started talking with a friend about it and, and really sitting down and figuring out like, what, what do I want out of a JavaScript framework? And Alpine emerged in its full form. Like I literally in that moment, like reached my hands up in the air at a coffee shop and said, I wow. have it. <laughs> I was like, this. and this, so it's, wow. Did like, everyone, did everyone look at you like you're crazy or? <laughs> yeah. The, like the deer outside stopped and he's a JavaScript <laughs> guy. <laughs> So, well, it sounds like I'm some brilliant, you know, I just had some divine insight, but mm -hmm. really my insight was, wait a minute, I just want Vue.js without all the other stuff. <laughs> like I just want the syntax of Vue in my template and I don't want to maintain a separate file. All I care about with Vue is the data object, like the reactive mm. data object. So if I could just declare that in my markup and then everything inside of that element that has that data attribute where you, I could like put the JSON inside the data attribute and then everything inside of it would have access to it. And I could do like things like in Vue, like V show and V4 and, and V text and anything I wanted to do and not have to maintain an entire build, deal with Webpack, deal with all of the zillion other things that you have to deal with when you when you go down that road. And that that basically is what Alpine is. Yeah. Alpine is kind of like Vue, but without the virtual DOM. Is that kind of Yeah, it feels it feels a lot like Vue. Yeah. So it it, it is sort of there's I guess there's a lot of differences, but the, the syntax is almost entirely borrowed from Right, Vue which makes sense. Like if you used it for years and you're like, well, there are some really good ideas in here, you know, and you you're not shy about saying that. You say yeah, you, you mentioned in the docs so you mentioned it as a tribute to Vue that hey, hey, I love the way you did this. I'm borrowing this from Vue. Thank you very much. You know? Which is what Evan you did with Angular. You know, he worked right. at Google and he was an Angular guy. And so when he wrote Vue, it was basically, I'm sure people looked at it and went, wait, this is Angular with V's in front of things, you know, <laughs> instead of NG. <laughs> So Angular kind of started that, you know. Well, which is great. And, you know, this is what everyone does to one extent or another. You know, I mean, there there aren't that many new ideas and layering them on top. And it's just something I've run into, too, where I'll see something and I'm like, that's a really good idea. But I think it would be better if I did it this way. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and right. that's kind of what you did with uh, with Alpine. It sounds like so. Kr, you are somebody that, and I, we're, we might be doing like a big introduction here, but you are somebody that you actually use Alpine quite a bit, and you actually are a contributor in some way to to Alpine. Uh, yeah, it was my uh, very first contribution, and I think uh, props to Caleb for making the repository very friendly and welcoming to newcomers. I think uh, it was the first time I've ever contributed to any open source repo. So it was kind of cool. Alpine Excellent. caught my eye right from the start. We'd actually built out everything. And about six months ago, we had actually compared a lot of different libraries. We've kind of been using intercooler for the majority um, of the projects before for server-side HTML rendering. And then we started this new site rebuild and starting, we had a clean slate and I'm working with another developer and we kind of, we did a test of kind of all the different libraries out there. We did Vue, we did Stimulus, we did VanillaJS, jQuery, just kind of, we knew the more time we spent up front, it would pay off and later down the road if the code base was clean and easy to make updates to. And we'd been, we, we settled on Stimulus and, and then about Two months ago, I think when Alpine came out, I was looking at it and I was like, we're not going to change everything all over again. And but just kept looking at it and I'm like, whoa, it just seems really clean, um, <laughs> it was easy to use. And, and when I was looking back at the old stimulus code, it was really like Caleb said, it was just a lot of vanilla JS. It, it didn't seem the wording, everything is great. I believe everything about it. But when you look back on the code, it just seemed it didn't seem as helping out as much as I thought it was. You know? Yeah. 
So, so I've got the picture of that meme in my mind where the guy is staring at this girl in front of him and then his girlfriend behind him is like getting all mad because he's looking at her. So yeah. kind of the, the girl in front is Alpine and the, the, the girl behind him is Stimulus, right? Is that kind of where you were? Yep, exactly. Exactly. And we and we took the time and we refactored everything. I mean, it took a while. And then halfway through, we realized, oh, wait, um, there's some issues with IE11 now. So then that's when we still have a customer base that needs IE11. So and it seemed I didn't no, want to just... give up using Alpine. But so then just kind of just spent some time to try to figure out I'm not I can get stuff done, but I'm not a I, I'm not a hardcore JavaScript developer or anything. But the repo was clean, easy to understand, and it was worth it. It was cool. Well, I mean, you did yeoman's work because that is something that most people Seriously. don't enjoy doing. Is yeah, right, right, Caleb. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I basically, you know, people need IE eleven support, and you know, I have a pretty stacked workload at the moment. I'm prepping yeah. for some some releases, and yeah. And I was like, no, I just I don't have the mental space for this. If somebody else could could chime in and do this, this is one of my favorite my favorite tricks is like in a GitHub issue when a bunch of people are saying it'd be like kind of describe what I want and be like, yeah, you know, I don't really have the capacity at the moment, but I'd, but I'd be totally open to a PR. And, right. and then sure enough, Kair, yeah, Kair just stepped in and, and did it. And that is, yeah, it's, it's the work of the Lord. It is work. I, <laughs> I do not enjoy doing. I don't want to do, I don't want to have to maintain any of those things. It's like, and I appreciate that he stepped in and, and did, I'm not saying I would have refused to do it, but man, it's nice uh, that that is the beauty of open source that, you know, someone else who has the need can go, well, I'll pitch in. So I got a question for you. Like a lot of people that are listening to the podcast, you know, maybe they use jQuery to do their DOM stuff, or maybe they just use vanilla JS these days, right? Because the platform has gotten better to the point where a lot of the jQuery-isms are just, they're there, they're there in the platform. Or, you know, maybe they're a Vue or a React developer. Like who is, who is Alpine for? Like if I was about to start a project and I normally use Vue or I normally use React, mm -hmm. when would I say, you know what, maybe I should use Alpine for this instead? Yeah, so the answer is a little bit different depending on where you are. So I'll, I'll speak to the two, the two easiest targets for Alpine. The first is you're going to make a marketing site and you're going to use, I don't know, whatever, Gatsby or plain static files, whatever you're going to do. But basically it's a marketing site, nothing crazy. And you need to toggle something. You need a little slide out like a mobile nav bar hamburger thing and maybe right. a little, uh, some other basic things in that for that. I mean, that's use, use Alpine, pop it in. It's, it's one script tag. That's it. You don't have to do anything, but include the file. It will initialize itself at the right time. It will do everything it needs to do. So it's like zero config, which I adore. So if you are out there and you're building a marketing site or you're about to give Alpine a try, it's, a sim it's as simple as pasting in a script tag. And basically you don't have to write any JavaScript right away. You can just start adding these attributes into your DOM and, and work with it firsthand. So that, that is, that is the easiest, easiest in for Alpine is somebody in that position. So I don't need a 60K framework download, for instance, just to have a hamburger menu toggle on and off is Seriously, kind of what you're saying. Yeah, that, I mean, that's yeah. what it was for me. I, I my, my other big project is Livewire. It's a framework for Laravel. And basically because of the way that it works, it's a lot like intercooler under the hood. So it uses server fetched partials, that, that pattern, which, you know, no frameworks really work well with no big JavaScript frameworks because of that virtual DOM. And basically, so a lot of people using it went, wait a minute, how do I do drop downs and modals? And I, I realized like everybody really like the most people just need drop downs and modals. Like you can get, you can do a lot with server fetched partials and other patterns. But at the end of the day, like to do a drop down and a modal, like before when everybody used bootstrap, you went to the docs, you copied the little modal giant, like yep. ugly thing, you pasted it in and that was it. <laughs> and now everybody's using Balma or Tailwind and there's no solution. So they go, well, you know, the examples use Vue.js. I got to use Vue. I need a Vue modal component. Try building a really good Vue modal component. It is terrifying. It's so unbelievably difficult. That's a whole other. Yeah, because you have to use portals and all these other things. You know? it, oh, it's insane to do transitions well on like an mm. overlay and to capture clicks to not cascade to the overlay to hide it, key bindings. That's what drew Adam Wathen to Alpine. He loves Alpine. I would just paired with him today on it because doing this stuff in Vue is just, he, he has a whole course, a whole series on building a modal component in Vue. And I, oh, and I know, like I've killed. seen his course <laughs> <laughs> and it's just killed with Alpine. So anyway, I'm meandering. What was the original no, question? I think you, no, I think you're answering the question really well because Adam is an example of someone that, you know, maybe he would have used Vue previously, but he's using Alpine for this because he just wants to, he's wants like a little bit of interaction and he wants the syntactic sugar to make it a little bit nicer. Yep. 
But speaking of that syntactic sugar, I mean, one of the things you kind of market this thing as is it's like Tailwind, but for JavaScript is kind of what you're mm -hmm. saying it is, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I have to do it. I have to go there. I have to ask you, what about separations of concerns? Like we're already, we're already doing this crazy stuff. Like what happened to separations of concerns? Should we really be putting this stuff in our DOM? I, I mean, so, <laughs> so with JavaScript, I feel like we've already, like with CSS, I think there was more of a culture of like separation between markup and CSS with JavaScript. Yeah. Like everybody uses single file view components. You're already intermingling your JavaScript and your, your markup. You're using JSX. You're literally writing JavaScript in your markup. So everybody, I think most people are already, have embraced the massive benefits of componentizing their front end. Well, I think, I think there are a lot of people that are more kind of traditional web developers, whether it is using a, a CMS or whether it's using uh, Laravel that they, they may or may not, like, like they just may use Blade, you know, on the, the front end to yeah. build their stuff. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead and say the second target audience for mm -hmm. Alpine is people who use Blade, people who use, you know, like who use uh, Rails and other like uh, Phoenix and other backend frameworks and do backend server-side templating with includes, right. partials and things like that. And then they're sprinkling in JavaScript with things even as heavy as Vue, which is what I was doing. And that's um, the way that Craft works with Twig. You know, and that's what all of us here, gotcha. uh, Craft, okay. Craft is a primary platform, but it works exactly the same way. Exactly. Yeah. So in that case, I mean, Alpine is a great fit. That That's my, that's where I am. Like that's mm. like, I don't build marketing pages hardly ever, but I work on Laravel apps all the time. And Alpine is, is perfect for that. And the, one of the biggest reasons I say, well, this maybe isn't why I say it's like Tailwind for JavaScript, but it's like Tailwind in the sense that you have to embrace some uglier, nastier markup. Like there's more junk in your markup. And Tailwind's answer to that is, well, extract a, a server-side partial or includer component for reuse instead of thinking, right. well, well, what am I going to do about reuse? I need a .btn class. Like I don't want to paste in this giant string of utility classes every time. So Alpine says the same thing. And mm -hmm. I've been I've been pushing that that paradigm pretty hard with backend components in Laravel. And it is a magical combination for me. So that that is a, a match made in heaven as far as I see it. That's really cool. So Matt, what do you think? Uh, I have a clarification question. Andrew mentioned the byte cost of adding like a, you know, 60K for a library. What does, what does this cost? Like, what is the size of our... Of sure. It's 5.43 kilobytes right now. Gzipped. Mm. Mm. Pretty so damn light. Yeah. It's, I don't know of anything lighter really. And yeah, yeah. And you're not, so I, I just got a, like pulled up a brand new Laravel project with the, with the view scaffolding and did a hello world component. And oh, what was it? I mean, I think it was in the sixties kilobytes. It was a lot. And that was production build, minified everything. It's just a ton, tons and tons of overhead. And then you pull in something like Lodash and all of a sudden and not import it right. And now your whole thing's like, yeah, now you're screwed it, anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's just over. Yeah. So Matt, our, put that. Matt, put that in your spreadsheet and smoke it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> on our on our rebuild for our site, I'm looking at the JavaScript right now. And yeah, Alpine's 5.4. My app.js is 12.9 kilobytes. And the only other, the main other library I'm using is Unpoly at 33 kilobytes. And that's pretty much it besides a, like a carousel or something else. And then Tailwind is at 7.6 kilobytes. So yeah, because you must be using purge CSS and exactly. are you using a, a build step in terms of like a bundler like Webpack or anything with your uh, site? Or? I'm using Laravel Mix for that. So you're using Webpack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just indirectly. Without having to touch it too much. But yeah. I, and there's some JavaScript in the Webpack that we needed ES6 for, but most, a lot of the JavaScript, if it's simple enough, it's just sitting in the HTML with the Alpine right now. So Caleb, this is something that I recently put something out for Twig, but it actually would work with just about anything. So Composer manages your Composer packages inside of the vendor directory. Right. Mm -hmm. yep. So one, one of the things with Craft and with Drupal and with a number of other CMSs that use Twig is you'll have a templates directory, which is where you'll have your templates. Right. So one of the, the annoying things about that is that there's no great way to do components that you can then share with other people. Mm. So I wrote a really small thing. It's just a composer plugin. And if you have a composer package of the type Twig bundle, it will create a vendor directory inside of your templates directory. And then you can just pull stuff in, mm. right? So it uses it uses composer to, to do all this kind of thing. Is that something that would be usable or viable or even needed in 
Laravel or does I think it has its own system of being able to register bundles and then get them into the the views directory, right? Interesting. Okay, yeah, I got you. So I think I'm making the right connection here. Tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in Laravel, if I well, well, let's say the concrete use case here is I'm installing a what am I installing? I'm installing a I don't know a package that is for error tracking. I don't know for like an exceptions like a whoops page. So I well I'll set you up. I'll set you up with a good example. So Please do. You made the Caleb made this amazing hamburger menu component. Yeah, yeah. That uses Alpine okay. and Tailwind, uh-huh. and then you you package this all up in a in a nice little bundle, and you can publish that as a unpackagist, and mm-hmm. then someone can just pull it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I guess the the Laravel way of doing that, I would yeah publish it on packagist. Somebody would compose or require my awesome hamburger menu. Was it a hamburger menu? Yeah, hamburger yeah, menu. Okay. My awesome hamburger menu component. They do that, and now you can yeah I I can register you you like namespace that mm-hmm. so I could register it in my service provider, which would run automatically after they install it. It'll run automatically in their their Laravel runtime. So by the time Laravel gets to you know render the page, it will search for my my include and include it so the user never has to touch my markup at all but a lot of packages that like anything that comes styled out of the box inevitably will need to be changed or want to be right changed. so then you would in your service provider you would configure asset publishing mm-hmm. so that if i was the consumer of it i would say in laravel the the like helper command line tool is called artisan so they would do artisan vendor publish and then my package name and it would be like hey anything you need to publish publish and then i might stick blade views inside of like in your case the templates directory that then the user would own and they could manipulate. So that's kind of the piece that's missing. So Craft is built on Yi and it does have the concept of being able to publish these kind of bundles and register and all that kind of stuff. But we're talking about a different kind of developer. So there are a lot of people that are using these CMSs that they don't do PHP, mm-hmm. right? So okay. they'll do they'll do a twig on the front end. So really it was like in Laravel, it's a no brainer, right? Because you're already writing a Laravel app. It's not a big deal to just register the source and you know bring it in and kind of away you go because you're already doing it in PHP. Yep. Um, so this thing was kind of just written for people that don't want to have to deal with that and just as a way to bring in i was just trying to see if there was a any kind of a nexus here with alpine because it sounds kind of neat because with alpine the the actual scripting is in the html that you're writing so the component is all there you know so you realistically could distribute this thing that is a a component and is is good to go and people could just start using it yeah, yeah that's not tied to the build process like exactly most yes i guess the only thing i would say is you would need for you would need to have alpine loaded so maybe in that component right. you would have the script tag but then if they load two components that have that then are you loading it twice and maybe you know mm-hmm. maybe you just have a requirement like make sure alpine's loaded and then import these components yeah now if it's only 5k have you experimented with just inlining it <laughs> I'm serious. No, no, I have not. I mean, you could. You very well could just wait. What do you mean? Like inline the whole include? Yeah, just inline Alpine. Yeah, yeah. You you could very well do that. Sure. Because then there's then there's no waiting at all for anything to render. Or is that even a concern it with Alpine? It would because a lot of these frameworks like Vue, like one of the big problems oh, that flicker. people that are hybrid developers, like you are and like we are, where you've got back end templating and then a front end framework. Yeah, you got that kind of flicker where you're waiting for the JavaScript to load and be parsed, and then for Vue to mount, and then for the component to render, yeah. and then there's that jank. Is that an issue with Alpine? Yeah, it's less of an issue. So Alpine, one, I, I am amongst the top haters of page jank and have gone through really great lengths to reduce page jank. When I was really into view, like if I had a view component for something, I would make like a blade component for it mm, that yep. would render initially with the same exact styling mm-hmm. so that when it like replaces itself, it, but that's a dark, dark, dark path. Um, I've done that. Yeah. yeah. So you you can go pretty far on that, but then basically you're rewriting all your view and blade for the initial run. And, and so then I was just, I just ate it and did V cloak so that like nothing shows up until view's ready, yeah, um, which is better than good. like random stuff flying everywhere, but it's still, yeah, it doesn't feel good because you get the blank screen and then yeah. whatever. So Alpine does have X cloak. So if, if you are really, really, really dedicated to ensuring that no one ever sees page jank or that I guess that there's still, still be the page jank, but that won't be, you know, random stuff breaking everywhere. You can use X cloak, but 
so when Adam picked up Alpine, he's he's somebody who who also hates page flicker and page jank and goes through great lengths to seed the HTML with the default state. Like if he's going to have a VF or like, like a V show on something, he'll, you know, manually like style display none or hidden or something with the initial render so it doesn't show. And then, yeah, when JavaScript picks it up. So anyway, but he couldn't get it to work. He's like, he kept messaging me. He's like, dude, I can't get it. I can't get the flicker. I can't get the page load. What in the world? He just like couldn't handle it. That like, what does Alpine do so well that nothing else is doing that somehow you can't get flicker? So I will say that you can get flicker. I think he has the world's fastest computer and fastest internet connection ever. But so I have seen flicker, but Alpine has no virtual DOM, no mounting, no template compiling or anything like the other frameworks. So basically, as soon as Alpine's initialized, it starts walking the DOM. It you know it does like a document.query selector for the root elements, and then it'll walk the DOM of those and evaluate as it goes. So any X show that you have, like X show equals false or something, it'll hit that so fast right away and then it'll hide it. And be, I guess I want to say that like stuff earlier in the page would get rendered sooner than stuff later in the page, which would kind of be what you want anyway. Well, that, that's why I was mentioning inlying it. So, I mean, one of the things that we do for web performance is as part of the build process, it generates critical CSS, right? So right. that... Yeah, sure all the CSS that's needed for the above the folds content is there. It's inlined and away you go. I mean, if it's only 5k, man, like maybe you could just inline this thing and then there's no jank ever because you just inline the script and it's already there. Right. So if I, if I included it right now, the, the recommended solution is include the asset in a script tag in mm-hmm. your head tag. And there's a defer attribute on it, which presumably waits for the full page to load and document or like Dom content ready, Dom content loaded, whatever event of fire to then to then execute or to then yeah to then fetch that javascript and then execute it so i could remove defer and it would presumably do the same thing right like generally that's the bad practice is because it is going to hold up the dom rendering until it fetches alpine right 5.4 for the first run and then it's cached afterwards so Mm -hmm. you might be better off just removing defer honestly Hmm. yeah interesting Interesting. Now, do you have two bundles for this thing? Is there like a modern bundle and a and a legacy bundle in terms of the builds of Alpine that you ship? I'll, uh, I'll let it... Kier answer that question because he's tell me Kier. He's, he's he knows all about it. He made it. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's the modern bundle, and then there's a IE eleven bundle. And the IE11 bundle has the polyfills all included right now in there. Nice. So, and are you using the module, no module pattern for doing that? Yeah, it, it uses rollup to configure it. So I think the rollup, uh, there's two different configurations in there. And the rollup for the IE11 just include, imports all the polyfills directly into it. So I mean, when you actually are putting the script tag into your DOM. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I use uh, load.js and then I, I do a check for it, if it's IE11 or not and then pick the appropriate file based. So you don't the good news is you don't even need to. So you can use the the module no module pattern and it will just work without any javascript and without any patterns at all. I know that. So the way that you do it is you do a script type equals module and you give it the URL to the the modern bundle. Mm-hmm. Legacy browsers that don't know anything about script of type module just ignore it completely which is wonderful, which is what you want. And then you have another script tag and you add the no module attribute Mm. to it and you give it the link to the legacy bundle. Modern browsers will skip it because they know what modules do and legacy browsers will automatically load the legacy bundle for you and you're done. That's it. That sounds a lot better. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that would... I guess my first thoughts with that, my first thought was like, well, is there some gap in the middle between stuff that supports between like new browsers and new browsers that support type module, but anything, but like you said, anything that has type module will be ignored. Right. So it, it covers both cases, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. I guess I, yeah, I haven't done a ton with, with like script type module. I'm fascinated by it. And I was messing with it the other day, but in my mind, it's like this new thing that I'll get to really sink my teeth into when it's widely supported. But so um, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. But basically, this pattern was has been around for like three years, something like that, probably more than that now. And it just works. And it's wonderful because it just works without polyfills. You just don't have to do anything. That's fantastic. Uh, and the other nice thing about it is that anything that is script type equals module, it's automatically deferred. Like that is just the loading. And that's the way that those... Right. JavaScript modules are loaded, so you don't have to worry about that either. Like it's going to do the, the right smart thing. I ran into that the other day and I was like, how do I get this to load? How do I get like type module await basically? Oh, you want it to block? <laughs> yeah, because like when you're importing, I don't know, I was like importing an asset 
with type module and then using it in a inline script with type module. Yeah. I couldn't get the order right or something because of the asynchronous. I don't know. But yeah, well, that's the whole idea, though, behind ES modules is that you they should be independent of each other, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in terms of like how you're loading them in and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, this was actually, it was in Phil Walton. I just looked it up and I'll add this to the show links, but he's the one at Google, he's an engineer at Google and he's the one that wrote about it. It's the first person that I know that wrote about it. And this was back in 2017. And it's a pattern that has been used for, like I've been using it in my production setup for several years, for two or three years now. And it's been fantastic. So great. Yeah. And my other thought was like, well, I, I really love that the only like the install step for Alpine is copy this one line script right. tag. And I could still keep that. There could just be like a little section like want to support I11, copy this two line script tag thing. Yeah. And then yeah. you're covered extra because you're only loading the bare minimum on all the modern browsers. Yeah. And there's no JavaScript that you have to tell people to use. You can just be like here, you know? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Good call. What do you think, Matt? You going to start doing something with Alpine? I, I'm a slow learner. And so I have to, you know, I, I have to evaluate it and figure that out. And I'm wondering, when is it not the right choice? Like if, yeah. if I, my laptop is just covered in view and react stickers and I just write <laughs> really complex apps. This is not me. I'm describing someone cooler, but um, I have you, I've used stickers all over my laptop. So maybe I'm happy. So what, what, is it always the right choice? What, tell tell no. me what the downsides are. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not always the right choice. So what was I going to say? View, React, Alpine, not the right choice. So one piece of messaging that people tell me I forget to be upfront about in the docs, and I should probably do that, is in my mind, it's not necessarily a, it's not a swap in for View or React. So if somebody has a View or React up and they go, oh, I want to try Alpine in the same way that they might say like, oh, I want to switch to Svelte. Mm. It's not like that. I, I'm not saying that you can't do most things you can do in View or React. What I'm saying is it's a like a pretty big paradigm shift to get to that point. And really Alpine is, it's born out of the spirit of backend server rendered apps that are pretty yagni and I don't know, use minimal browser stuff. And I don't know, they're just maybe a little bit more conservative on how much JavaScript they want to use or pull in or whatever. So where it's the wrong choice is if you're, if you want a true SPA, it's not not an answer for that. If you want, I don't know, like you, there's no React, there's no Alpine native. It's sort of like the gap between jQuery and React. So it's, you know, all the places that jQuery would work, Alpine's going to work great. All the places that React would work, Alpine will not necessarily work. And it's not, it's not as robust. React is unbelievably robust, especially with all the new concurrency stuff that they're doing. If you need, if you have some, if you're building Gmail, you should, you should get into React. You should not use Alpine for that. <laughs> that so Caleb, I've got a new marketing line for you. Okay, here we go. If you want to understand what Alpine.js is, it's if jQuery, Vue, and Tailwind got together, did something unspeakable, and had a baby. <laughs> yeah, the, the other project I, I work on live work for Laravel is like, if if Blade and Vue had a baby, it would be a jellyfish. If the logo is a jellyfish, if Blade and Vue had a baby, it would be a jellyfish. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. It's 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 true. Well, so a question I have for you, though, is I've looked into you know what you've been doing with this. And at first, it looked like, well, Caleb wants some nice syntactic sugar for doing stuff. And he wants stuff that he does all the time. He wants it to be easy to do. Doesn't need a massive framework to do all this stuff. And mm -hmm. Alpine, at least to me, when I would look at it, seemed like kind of like your answer for doing that. And one of the big paradigms that you had was that there's no virtual DOM, which is great. But then I saw that you added X4. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, now, sure. so now, aren't we kind of getting into, you know, the territory of where a virtual yeah. DOM is actually helpful? And what's the line, Caleb? Like at what point right. are you going to say enough is enough? No, we are never going to have this feature because this would require a virtual <laughs> DOM. Yeah. So I personally, I try not to draw hard lines. I think Alpine is a blurry line itself. And I, if I, my, I guess my personal belief is if I always stay in the business of solving practical problems that I have, mm. I'll never, I'll never go wrong, at least for myself. But as sure. soon as I start drawing hard lines and making like theoretical statements and whatever, then, or, or jumping to the solution space or touting like random uh, performance facts that nobody ever would encounter or care about that. Those are the things I try to avoid. So I, I don't, don't talk about Rich Harris. He's not here. It's not fair. <laughs> I freaking love Svelte and Rich Harris. So, so do um, I. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I know that is funny. Anytime like any of those frameworks, they get on stage and they start talking about, you know, when you render 2 million 
nodes and you hit when you filter them i'm like i don't use any of it like that (laughs) well it's funny though because when you're sitting there you're just like wow that's so cool and then and then like an hour later like you'll you'll just like stop whatever you're doing and you'll stare off into space and you're just like i don't know when i would ever do that yeah it's an an intangible (laughs) metric totally intangible so route me back to the question so you added x4 yeah, and right. That, right. that seems like it's here? getting into virtual DOM territory. Is he, where's the line where you're yeah. just like, well, you know? It's true. X if and X4 are the two things that didn't get implemented right away. Mm-hmm. And when I encountered them, I went, okay, so X if I went, no problem. So uh, for the listener, in view, there's V show and V if. If you have V and you pass a Boolean to each of them. If you have V if on an element and it the expression resolves to false, then it will not exist in the rendered DOM tree. So if you inspect in your dev tools, you would not see that element if it's false. Um, and then when it's true, it pops in there magically. V show sets display none and then display block or removes display none or whatever. So it's in the DOM, but it's CSS hidden. So most people use V show and or sorry, V if when they're using view, because it just kind of seems like a better word like if instead of show, but for really no more reason than that, I realized that that like X. So I started with X show, but I realized that really, I don't know if I ever really need X if so I, I punted on X if I was because, you know, like you said, we, we can get into that in a minute why it's harder, but V4 is something that is genuinely useful. And mm-hmm. in Alpine, I found a need for it multiple times. And so I think Alpine could could still survive and succeed and be itself and be loved well without an X4, because it's usually in the context of server side rendering, and you can do your for loop on the server, which is what I started doing, you know, a blade at for each or whatever. So that works. But it does break down when, when you want to drive out that loop from JavaScript data and not from not from something on the back end. And then even if you do drive it out from the back end, it gets a little bit hard to to track sometimes like whatever. We don't have to get into it, but I personally felt the need for X4 and I went, "All right, what what is it going to take to build something like this?" And I wasn't going to go into a virtual DOM. That's probably just not going to happen ever. So maybe that's the line. Oh, the virtual DOM? Yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's, that's the line. Yeah. So I wanted it's like, can I do this in a resilient way? Like in a way that doesn't make it completely basically. Okay. You're right. Here's, here's a personal line that I sort of have for the code base. And this might be a little bit like internal JavaScript deep. I start my, my, might start to gloss over, but in my mind, if I'm never storing a reference to a Dom node in Alpine runtime, mm. then I'm doing all right. Like, ah. Okay. I, I evaluate everything as I need it. So I thought with, with X4, I'm like, okay, I could, you know, render these four things, store them in a variable on an object. But I, I, I'm I now like a maintainer of a JavaScript framework. So I'm using fancy words like storing a reference to a thing in a, in a runtime. But really, I mean, setting a property on an object to a DOM element. So I try to treat DOM elements as something that I don't own and can't ensure that they'll always be there. Like when you're using a virtual DOM, you can because you own them. So you are all about knowing about them. So I so my my solution for X4 was kind of a hacky roundabout solution where I I don't know if you want me to go into detail about it, but yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious how you got it working. Yeah. Okay. Same. I, I think somebody was about to speak. Does anybody have any th- other input before? No, no. I was just supporting you going for it. Okay. So I think a better. It's the exact same mechanism as X. XIF. And XIF is a smaller mental thing to wrap your head around. So in an Alpine component, you have, let's say, let's say this is a dropdown component. You have a div to wrap up everything. You have a button as the first child that says toggle dropdown. And then you have a div for the dropdown content. On that root div, you have X hyphen data. That's that declares that it's an Alpine component and you set a JavaScript object and that's your reactive data for the component. So in our case, we'll say open colon uh, false. So we'll set, or yeah, open colon false. It's set to hidden by default. Then the button has a little VX on or at click to listen for a click open equals true. So this is very view like. And then that div, the dropdown content, we would say X hyphen, if it was just show, we'd say X hyphen show equals open. And then it would work. This would totally work because I'm just toggling display you know, none and and not. But let's say we wanted to make it an X if. So we could say you would have to wrap it in a template tag. So we'd have a temp- template tag X hyphen if open and then the content inside of the template tag. Are we tracking? We are tracking. The one question I have for you is how do you how do you carry the state forward? Like I want this to be open initially or I want this to be closed initially. Is it just the, the value you give to the property? The value you give to the property. So open is set to false initially. And now Alpine, when it initializes, it's going to crawl the DOM. So it gets to the template tag and it goes, all right, what is the value of the expression inside XIF? Okay, mm. it's false. So I'm going to look ahead to 
to this is the part that's not going to make sense until I describe it to you. So let's flip it. Open equals true. I get to the template tag. I resolve X if to be true. And then I go, okay, I need the contents of this tag. I'll append the contents of this tag to the template tag so that it's mm. a sibling. Because template tags, if anybody's not familiar, a template tag in a browser is ignored. So you can put it and it's used for this exact thing. Like, so it's actually more of a native browser way of doing things. Yeah. You can put DOM inside of a template tag and you can, it's sort of a reference. You can then grab that DOM and shove it into other places in, in other areas of the DOM. Yeah. So, and this is when we, like, I remember a long time ago, I used to have like a div that would be hidden and I would use that as like a thing yeah, to clone. Right. And then I'm like, and at some point I found the template tag. I'm like, oh, yep. <laughs> I Wait. can use that. What does Internet Explorer do with the template tag? I don't know. I imagine it just ignores it. I don't know if it even supports it. Care? Let's, let's ask the guy. I think it's working. There's a template, HTML template polyfill. So that was one of the last things we got working with IE11, but it works in IE11 fine. If you don't have polyfill, then do you, it, nothing happens? Or it probably complains. It loves to complain. Yeah, you'll get an error if... Uh, if there is no polyfill because it doesn't lovely I'm anyway so let's get let's air is on here <laughs> let's keep tracking caleb let's not lose it all right we're all right. we're inside here go ahead we're in the template great so it resolves to true i take yep. the innards of the template and i append that element mm -hmm. to right after the template tag right okay. and i set a property on that raw dom element so like if you document.query selector an element and you have it in javascript it's just an object so you can add attributes to it like dot foo equals bar and then anybody can query selector that out of the dom and do dot foo and they'll get bar so i add a little dot i don't even remember what it is like dot underscore underscore x from if or something that says like hey i was created for the purpose of an x if if that makes sense yeah no i so get it first render so the first render works great now let's say that you hit the button again and or do something to set open to false, which triggers a re-render. Alpine goes to the DOM, it gets to the template tag, and it says, am I true or false? Okay, I'm false. And then it checks. Is there any things that have been added by an exif after me? Yes then remove them. Yeah. Mm, okay. So you're in addition to injecting the actual HTML code for this thing, you're also kind of injecting a little bit of state kind of, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I don't have really have to track the state, but yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm basically just adding... Or yes. you're tagging. A, a better word would be like you're tagging it, right? With the property yes, that I'm indicates what's like, going on. Like, hey, Alpine was here. <laughs> right. You know, so if somebody did manually mess with that, then they mm -hmm. could break Alpine. So in that sense, right. and that that's why you, you could smell that like, hey, aren't you getting into the realm of like stateful virtual mm -hmm. DOM like implementations? And the answer is, well, yes, but it's in a really weird, like hand rolled minimal way that I don't really think would matter that much. In my mind, it's a pretty rare instance that somebody would, I don't know, clone that node, replace it, remove the attribute. Because it's not, it's not like an attribute on the DOM, that HTML element itself, which which would be much more liable to be removed. It's an actual, it's in memory. It also sounds like though, I'm, I'm listening for what is the upper end of, of doing something with Alpine versus using Vue. And it's actually kind of nice in that it's it's Vue-like in its syntax, because if I've been enjoying, you know, my my rugged Alpine JavaScript for some time now, and I, I've built kind of a lot, and I'm starting to strain it and want the virtual DOM and stuff, like kind of picking that up and and using Vue at that point would not be a massive rethink of, of everything. I mean, it, it would kind of neatly transition if, yeah. if I reached the upper limit of what, what I was trying to get Alpine to do. Right. Most of the binding syntax is exactly the same. You can colon class and then the object syntax, or you can bind attributes, you can... X, X if and X show work the same. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, the template tag thing, that's different. But I was just pairing with Adam before this on something that we were hitting a bug. And we didn't know if it was Alpine or, or CSS or whatever. So we took that Alpine component and he swapped it out to Vue. So he like literally like commented out the script tag with Alpine, mm -hmm. pasted in a script tag with Vue. And then, yeah, and the upgrade path is basically like changing X's to V's pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And, you know, Caleb, I want to step back for a second and have like a semi-philosophical discussion about JavaScript and I think there and just kind of development in general, where I think a lot of people feel lost or they feel like I'm left behind or I don't know what the, the next thing is that I should be doing or they feel like, you know, they're not using the modern thing. But Alpine itself is kind of bringing this into focus that really what I think is going on is it's not that there is one way that you should be doing stuff. 
it's more that the proliferation of JavaScript frameworks, even CSS frameworks, you know, or whatever part of front-end development there is, really just indicates a specialization of the tools that are available, right? So as the problems that we're trying to solve get more complicated, it makes sense to have more specialized tools to make that specific class of problem easier to solve. Do you have any thoughts on that or think that that is kind of what Alpine might be is that you want to make this the perfect thing for solving. If you have this specific set of problems that you're trying to solve, this is the tool for you. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Because they're, I mean, Vue sort of started out as something humble and modest and spoke to people in my position. And mm. then over time grew and grew and grew. And that's great. It's incredibly robust and it can do a lot of things. But over time, it sort of, it seduces you into so much more. Mm. And uh, and so Alpine is, yeah, it, it's it's not only just like a subset of, of view and view syntax, it just by nature of not, I don't know, like it doesn't draw you into more. In fact, right. it, like, it tries, <laughs> I, I don't think it's, I don't want it to be too opinionated. I'm not, I'm not trying to control developers and how they use it per se, but by using it, you're not going to be drawn into going, oh, well, like now I should be using whatever, like, oh, I need to try to think like, I, I need to CSS and JS everything now. And like, I need to... Mm attend, you know, ViewCon for ReactConf and hear all the things and I need a I need a tree shake and I need a code split and I need to SPA this and I need a router and Redux and now I need some like central data store and how am I going to fetch that and maybe I should do server-side rendering and maybe I'll do it all in local storage. Yeah, I'll persist it there and that. You know what I mean? It's like that's fine. What's what's nice about it is it's a one episode show. What, what we, we live, you, we all know, we, I think we know, we, we live in a golden age of television. My wife and I have a system where if we're, we're looking at a new show, we will ask people that have seen it, like, how many do you have to watch to know if it's for you or not? Mm. And the best shows are the one where you can get away with watching one episode. And by the end of that minimal commitment, you know whether or not it's for you. Some some shows are complicated and you have to watch like eight to, to decide. But Alpine's great because you you don't have to struggle with your build process and all these things like to try it and to work with it and to get a feel for how it works and know if it's for you. And so to me, it's it's a one episode show and that's a great feature. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice way of putting it. And uh, and I hope it is that. I think one, one of my maybe um, advantages of being the creator of it is that I, I have like a super low tolerance for all that annoying stuff like builds and stuff. Like I basically, mm -hmm. I mean, NPM install is one of the, gives sends shivers down my spine. Like <laughs> it's like that to me marks Felicity in JavaScript. Are those shivers due to excitement? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, and the, the source itself, I am interested to hear what K, what Kayer says, because like this, even like I've had to do lots of view source diving and things like that. And it feels very undivable to me. Mm. Uh, it's hard for me to track and even stimulus is written in TypeScript now. And there's just, there's so much going on all the time. And Alpine is like a handful of JavaScript files. It's just JavaScript. Uh, there's nothing insane. It's all browser APIs. It's like, it's like how I would write a framework with JavaScript. I know how to use. I mean, there's some more advanced things for sure, but yeah, I'm interested to hear from like Kayer from your perspective. Did you, did you encounter that and think anything about like the way it's written? Yeah. At first it was just completely foreign to me, mutation observer, mm, yeah. uh, all these things going on, but what, and that was mostly due to my lack of knowledge about it. But once I went in there and I just, I just did a lot of console.logs and just keep adding breakpoints and see where it's going, what it's doing. And then, and then once I saw what was happening, then yeah, then I was able to piece together the puzzle and, and see what was going on. So yeah, there's no way I, I think I would have been able to make a contribution otherwise. So Matt, I like your idea about the one show, you know, cause you know, like for me, I watched the first five minutes of the boys and I'm like, this show is for me. Right. And it, it is that kind of a, a polarizing show that if you, if, if after the first five minutes you aren't drawn in, like it, it's all over. But you know, one of the interesting things you were saying before, Caleb, it reminds me of a show that we did recently with Harry Roberts on web performance. And one of the things that he said was use as little as you can for as long as you can. Mm. Right. And it seems like Alpine is kind of embracing that from the perspective of, look, use this framework. If you're, if you're doing kind of the basic meat and potatoes, stuff that we do 90% of the time for 90% of the projects, yeah. use this because it's a 5k library and it just makes your developer experience a little bit nicer. It's nothing you couldn't do on your own with, you mm -hmm. know, vanilla JavaScript, right. but it makes your developer experience much, much nicer, but use as little as you can for as long as you can, I think is a really nice pithy way of putting it in terms of like, you don't need to install React for this marketing brochure site. Like it just doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah, that's 
that's that's very true. Uh, a, fr- a friend of mine just got into web development, like within the past few months, totally green to any sort of programming period, not even oh, a technologist God. in general. <laughs> it's not good. And it's not good. He got hired and he came to me and he's, you know, he knows I'm a web developer. And, and so we met at a coffee shop and basically it's like <laughs> he went to his first interview or whatever. And he goes, um, how long does it take to learn React? <laughs> and I said, I'm like, Stop. dude, dude, <laughs> you don't Intervention. Even know. I know. I'm like, you don't even know. And he, yeah. So, so he's just jumping right in. He's using Storybook and React and mm-hmm. all these things, but he doesn't know JavaScript. He doesn't know HTML oh, or yeah. CSS even. And he's using yeah. CSS and JS and right. React and Storybook. And I, and so basically when I meet with him just to help him out, the work that I'm doing is just dismantling the machine to show him like right. where all the pieces come from, where this all comes from and where, cause you still have to know, you know, and it's all ES6 syntax, like he's never even used a real function. It's all like arrow functions and stuff. So, and so that's to the him, thing. People that learn this way, it's kind of like the movie Idiocracy, where there are going to be people wandering around that they don't know how to fix or use any of the machines that do all the thing, right? You know? Yeah, it well, is interesting. Go on. That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately and try to, trying to figure out how to teach somebody who's brand new to just building a website in general is where do you start in a way that's responsible right now? Because years ago, I taught HTML and CSS when sure. there, you know there wasn't a React or anything to be using. And that was cool because there was no pressure to use a higher level framework because it didn't exist. But now, you know, you can't build a website without a style sheet because everybody will know you're a dinosaur. So like, what is the the healthiest place to start? Like what level of abstraction is like a nice balance to start with building something that looks and works like a modern website, but isn't so far, you know, abstracted that you have no sense for what a style sheet is or even what vanilla JavaScript is or would look like. It's it's very true. I encourage you to, to go to caleborzio.com and find the style sheet. I don't think it exists. I think maybe there, maybe I did end up pulling in some like really lightweight framework that somebody recommended. Anyway, that's mostly a joke because I that was kind of experiment in resisting any sort of complexity. But yes, you're totally right. I I was at a a meetup and I was down so Livewire that I mentioned a couple of times by basically my main project that Alpine was written for. They're kind of they go together really well and pitching it and I'm you know talking about the woes of the modern JavaScript ecosystem and I'm going on mm. and on like I've like you've already heard me do on this podcast like it's one of my favorite monologues mm-hmm. and and this person who was there because it's you know it's a meetup it's a general tech meetup and he was a pretty new uh, React intern and so he's like pretty new to web and he uses React every day and he goes I don't get it though like it's I'm like and so I'm like really like you don't think like Webpack's there he's like well I mean I just use Create React app and, I'm, and it was just kind of this moment for me where I was like yeah you know what like from his perspective. And you're coming in, he's learning a paradigm. He's learning mm-hmm. a simple command. You type create react app. You get a working thing in the browser. You type one command, npm run watch or whatever it is. And you're you're running your thing. You save, it all works. If you get an error, you get a nice error message and you just look at the docs and you get pretty far. I could see that. And so it was kind of my first like awakening moment. Like, okay, a lot of what I'm doing is carrying around the baggage of having seen all the transitions, like all of us, you know? Sure. And so I do wonder the same thing. It's like, what is that? What do you do? when you teach someone when they're coming in. And I think there's a balance. I think, I think you know, some of my ideals about like, well, let's start with HTML and then CSS. And now we'll learn JavaScript and how it uses, you know, like vanilla pre-ES6 JavaScript. Like, yeah, I don't know. Anyone else? Well, I'm going to join in and change the monologue to a dialogue here in terms, because I, I, I feel a lot the same way that you do. And it's weird for me because I have a low level understanding, you know, having done assembly language and it's weird thinking about the fact that people might not have understand what various levels of the stuff that they're using do. And I think you're right. You totally can just jump in there, start using Create React app, start using the tools that are layered on top, and you can probably have a a whole career of just doing that, just working in that one ecosystem. Where it becomes problematic is when something fails, (laughs) Some part of your build process doesn't work or something breaks. If you don't have that basis and understanding of how HTML works, how CSS works, even how JavaScript works, when stuff breaks, like you're in big trouble. Kind of. But then at the same time, you know, you can drive a vehicle around. And if if it breaks down on the side of the road, do you need to know how to forge a new engine block or something? Like that's that's where I struggle is like, what if I'm just 
an internet old person and upset that that these people don't know <laughs> what the cascade <laughs> used to be like you know right. like what if it doesn't really matter what if css and js is how they're most productive and that's that's just how things are done and i don't, I don't know i've been working on a project using react and css and js and all that kind of stuff and i'm like oh this is kind of cool like i i can understand why people might enjoy working this way you know? oh sure but you're a you're a deep stack developer, Andrew. Stop it. Yeah. But the bar needs to be a little bit higher. I mean, I, I'm I've been on some apps on my laptop, and it's the fan starts turning on and heating up, and mm -hmm. you know, and then you go to some sites, and yeah, they trick you with the gray blocks. There's no data yet, but you know, you know, you can see past it, and you're still waiting another 15, 20 seconds for the data to load up, and and the you hot know, lap. Yeah, and with Alpine and Intercooler and Poly with server side LiveWire, server side HTML, it can be a lot faster without using without your internet I, I think it's you can use it for much more than brochure sites you know well that's the thing like <laughs> we've seen any number of websites that are using react but are doing it in not the best way let's say where they have like a one megabyte bundle of javascript right that the browser has to digest and parse and do stuff with and if you are just onboarded you know, kind of mainlined directly into that React ecosystem. And someone says to you, you know, hey, your bundle size is too big. You know, you should look at doing X, Y, and Z. You might have no basis for even understanding how you could fix that. And you would just look at them and say, well, that's React, you know, and, and not understand that there are other ways that you could do something to, to address this issue. You could write jQuery spaghetti code like the old days and make... Which is bad too. Horrible yeah. app. Like it's... yeah. Yeah, I think I I guess two two thoughts come to mind. One, Dan is it Abramov or Abramov? The you know yes, one, yeah. Is it Abramov? I don't know. I know he's from England, so spelling it correctly. So that's so let's say Dan Abramov. He there you go. Phenomenal developer, worth uh, following if anybody hasn't heard of him. And he is coming out with a new course or book or something called. Oh, I should probably know what it's called before I endorse it. It's called JavaScript, just JavaScript, I think, just JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And it's like his way of he's like anything. If you go to learn JavaScript now. You know, you pick up some fat book that half the stuff doesn't even matter anymore. So mm. he wanted to teach like the way he would teach JavaScript. And the thing that I've really been, it's been speaking to me, he's resisting any, he refuses to say the word pass by reference. Like mm. he doesn't want anybody to have to know anything outside of this little universe that JavaScript is. So he's like, to, what I'm trying to do is give you a JavaScript mental model. I'm not trying to teach you how JavaScript stores its variables in memory. Like right. that's that's not what this is about. It doesn't even matter. Like what you need is a good mental model that's bulletproof. And so that's that's what it's sort of teaching you. And that, that sort of comes to mind a little bit about like, well, yeah, but like what if something goes wrong? Well, I think there's a reasonable like, there's a reasonable threshold for people. If you, if you have a really good React mental model and JavaScript because you're using JavaScript mental model, you could probably get pretty far. I guess the, the other thing I wanted to say is that I think you're right in that your car breaks down you don't have to know how to forge an engine block. But I think that, and this is me, this is my total opinion. So I want to hear what your opinions are. But in my mind, I want to, I'm betting on the browser. I'm betting on knowing DOM APIs that browsers support the JavaScript, you know, specification, the ES specification. I'm betting on those things. I'm betting on CSS. I'm betting on HTML. If you are betting on React as your, your bed of knowledge, for web development, you're betting on something that's not as universal, might not exist in its same form a year from now. Same thing with Vue, same thing with any of these things. So in my mind, I'm like, well, it's a little bit different than forging an engine block because these things are going to be around and you don't know if, you're, if your tool is necessarily going to be around. So what do you guys think? I'm betting on problem solving. As someone that has worked in, in many languages over the years. I think the thing that makes you a really good developer are things that translate from one language to another, you know, from because really they're they're just kind of different ways of expressing problem solving. And I think that that is something that I think is even more important in a lot of ways than, you know, knowing the, as you were saying, knowing exactly how JavaScript stores stuff in memory. You know, it's more important, at least from my perspective, that you know how to architect things, you know how to solve problems, and you know how to approach it so that when a new API does come out, you are in a position to be able to di digest it and use it. I mean, what do you think, Matt? Uh, I think I'm kind of... I might be in Caleb's camp. My my tendency is to to try and stay as close to the spec as I can, mm -hmm. um, like going from SAS to post CSS and just in, in thoughtfully, you know, adding whatever syntax, uh, I don't know, fun or just treating 
additional functionality that's not native to CSS as, as plugins, basically. Felt good. It felt good to know that I was using something that wasn't part of the spec yet, but... but All right. So it feels good, Matt. It feels yeah. good. But have you looked at the job listings lately? Have you looked at what they're <laughs> asking for? Almost every one of them is they want you to know React oh, yeah, or, they, or, or something like that. Yeah, but I'm, you know, I've marched to the beat of my own drum. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that I, I put out this tweet a while back. Like I said, this is one of my favorite, favorite monologues. It's, it's uh, definitely borderline religious for me. I have to watch my, my own biases, but I, I'm like, I wrote this, this uh, endearing tweet to the world. that was like, you don't have to learn Vue. You don't have to learn React. You don't have to learn Angular. It was all the things I said, you don't have to learn. I was like, the end of the day, let us be known by the web app, but by the websites we build, not by the frameworks we used or something like that. Or let, yeah. let us, at, at the end of days, let us be judged, not by our, you know, <laughs> and it got a lot of good response. I mean, I think it, I think a lot of people needed to hear it. I needed to hear it myself. Well, um, well Kitsay, yeah, Kitsay, the developer of CZ, as well as React Academy, like he said something very similar. Like he was going through this, you know, he, probably everyone has seen that little chart of web technologies you need to know and there's like this little flow chart and different paths you can take in terms of what you need to know to get certain places. And he's he looked at it, he's like, no, you don't need any of this. Like this is this is nonsense. Like I, I ship apps. Like that's what I do. And I don't use any of this crap. Like this is bullshit. Yep. Yeah. And I said that was because a lot of responses were like, well, yeah, that's a really nice tweet. But uh, look at the job board, bro. Like, uh, I do need to it's learn true. React. <laughs> it's true. I mean, to some extent. Kayer, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to keep tabs on everything, but it, it, the paradigm is different, I guess, now. When if by default, these are the technologies that people are learning, you know, out of college and in their first jobs, the, the demand for React and Vue is it's crazy. And, and I've been on some side projects and, you know, the first instinct was to use Vue and, and the project didn't get done and it took a it took much longer. Whereas if we went with a traditional blade and twig, it would have got up and running and then we could have iterated upon that later on. But I think yeah, the desire to build APIs and for a smaller app that's or prototype or you know, it it's it does take a lot of work if you go down these other technologies and hopefully people are aware that there is a different way, you know, even though it's going upstream. Well, Caleb, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you coming on and I appreciate you allowing us to kind of digress and wander off the path and, and talk about some stuff I really found that fascinating. And it was excellent finding out about Alpine JS, but that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please review the show on iTunes. It's the best place to help others find the show. You can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website where we can continue the conversation. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. And I'm Matt Stein. And thank you, Caleb Porzio, for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Ton of fun. And, and thank you, K.R. Shaw from Paper and More for coming on as well. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. And now that I have completely burned the possibility of me ever working at 37 Signals or Basecamp. <laughs> Done. Uh, you can come on the show and yell at you, though. Yeah, that, that would be, be that would be that would be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right.